chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome to the State of Cannabis, bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. Advocates and analysts will join us to discuss the ongoing path to reform and legislation. Now, the State of Cannabis, with your host, Dave Inman. Welcome, welcome to the State of Cannabis. I'm your host, Dave Inman. Today we have with us uh, Andrew Myers, uh, campaign manager for Proposition 203, Arizona's medical marijuana law passed in 2010. But before we get in that, we have a, a bit of news. Will Humble, uh, director of Arizona Department of Health Services, announced that PTSD will be a qualifying condition within the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act starting January 1st, 2015. Arizona will join the ranks of nine other states that this actually uh, already is a qualifying condition for. So finally, we're, we're getting out of the dark ages there. Interestingly enough, two uh, former Goodyear police officers were arrested for stealing cannabis-infused chocolates from OnTrack, a shipping company in Phoenix, Arizona. David Carpenter and Eric Scott Whittington were working as security guards when they absconded with 50 pounds worth of these tasty, heady treats. Police uh, recovered about 20 pounds of the infused chocolates at at the residence and uh, discovered text messages between both Carpenter and Whittington discussing selling the chocolate. Washington uh, finally opens their first uh, recreational pot shops, Cannabis City in Seattle. Lines started the day before, and much like Denver's opening day, they, uh, they're they almost out. Uh, of course, that, that didn't stop uh, Pete Holmes, Seattle's city attorney. Uh, he bought his first legal weed, some OG pearl for both posterity and personal. Uh, Uruguay, a little setback there. Uruguay will be delayed about a year due to practical difficulties. And it sounds like it's it's basically having pharmacies or their distribution centers up and running uh, prior to. They, they want to make sure that it doesn't go uh, into the black market. Uh, on another interesting note, it uh, sounds like the eastern seaboard is going to have their own equivalent of Oaksterdam. It is called the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis, and it'll be in Natick, Massachusetts, uh, it's founded by Mickey Martin. For those of you uh, who have heard of Mickey Martin, he is the author of Medical Marijuana 101. The classes are set to start uh, spring. They're going to cover topics ranging from understanding regulations, which is very important, to uh, cultivation. And, and they're, they're also going to be pulling on a, a lot of advanced topics as well. More than 500 people are already have expressed interest uh, at this point. University of Mississippi, for those of you who are familiar with University of Mississippi, it's the only place where cannabis grows federally, and it has been doing so since the 70s. Well, they've been growing about 50 pounds worth of cannabis on average for a year. Uh, it sounds like they're about to ramp up production to over 1,400. While I don't necessarily think they're going to be taking on any more patients, it sounds like they may be gearing up for additional testing. So that is a very, very promising maneuver that we're seeing there. So uh, let's, let's keep our ears to that as well. Today we have Andrew Myers, the campaign manager for Proposition 203, the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act. I'd like to first say thank you, Andrew, for what you've done, for sticking your neck out and putting in all of your time and effort and, and actually making this happen. There's uh, 50,000 patients who I, I think uh, if they had the opportunity would shake your hand for giving them the, uh, the, the, the freedom to uh, utilize this, this wonderful medicine. So with that, uh, Andrew. Well, Dave, thank you very much for having me, and 
thank you for the kind introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So let me ask you, how did you get involved in cannabis reform to begin with? I wish it was a more romantic story, but the, the truth is that I, I was hired to manage the uh, Proposition 203 campaign. But before that, I had been, I guess what you would term a mainstream political consultant. I worked mostly on you know partisan political campaigns, the legislature or uh, the board of supervisors or you know kind of offices like that, you know state and local campaigns in Arizona. And I had worked on a dozen of those. But ended up getting laid off from the organization that I worked for during the financial crisis. We were a major donor-driven organization in late 2008 during the financial crisis. A lot of folks that were major givers to progressive causes had to scale back their investments in those things. And Arizona is a state that's very difficult to raise its own money in for progressive causes, as anybody who has been involved in progressive causes in Arizona knows. I was looking for work, so the timing was perfect. And I got introduced to the Marijuana Policy Project, and I was really impressed with them. A gentleman named Neil Levine was the first guy that I met, and uh, Neil is actually still involved with MPP today. He was He's a really great guy and uh, put a, a very moderate face on the cannabis reform movement for me and kind of took all of the fear factor away and it made me realize what an important public policy issue this was. And then I managed the campaign and kind of the the rest is history, I guess. Were you a cannabis advocate prior to a meeting with meeting MPP? No, I, I wasn't a cannabis advocate. I mean, I, I, I really wasn't particularly... Well, it was only because I wasn't that knowledgeable on the issue. Like, I had... I mean, well, cannabis obviously was around in our social circles, but I mean, that was kind of the extent of my exposure to it. I hadn't really looked at it from a public policy issue. I mean, I was just involved in other things from a policy perspective. It wasn't, I just hadn't really been exposed to it. That said, it's what I've been working on for the past five years, and I'm really happy to be involved with the issue. I think it's one of the most important public policy issues that we're dealing with today. Yeah, I would definitely say that it's Something that, that we all kind of keep close to the heart. The issues are front to back, soup to nuts. They will involve so many different topics. You know, it's something that I don't think anybody should ever go to jail for. And that's the, the most beautiful thing about what's happening. We have 23 states now, 24 including the District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. Now, once we hit that, that critical mass of, of 50 is what I understand. And correct me if I'm wrong, once we get there, it makes it a lot easier for federal policy to change. What we're heading towards eventually is what's called a a defederalization of policy. I mean, what isn't going to happen is some sort of national law that gets passed that legalizes marijuana. Like, that's not how it's going. It'll happen where the federal government says, we're no longer going to enforce these types of laws. The way that drugs are handled or cannabis is handled will so be much handled like, by the states. So much like prohibition back in the 20s, it, how that was lived. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the very obvious analogy, but I think it's a pretty good one in a lot of ways. Um, in a lot of the dynamics that we're seeing right now, kind of in the, in the industry, the, the prohibition dynamics that occurred. It's, it's an exciting time, and, and I think a lot of people are really waking up to, to, to really the truth of the issue. Um, and, you know, Dr. Sisley, she's actually, I, ju- I just found this out today, she's going to be featuring on Sanjay Gupta's CNN program. Weeds 3, right? Well, it's actually not going to be, it's like his, his every Saturday 
news magazine. She's going to be on it. I, she's going to be in the the Weed Three documentary too. But this is just his like weekly show. Apparently, she's going to have a segment on that on Saturday too. So I mean, we're getting a lot of really great national exposure. I think everybody would agree the Sanjay Gupta documentary was amazing, groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of eyes are just being opened. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrew. We're, we have to take a quick break. We have Andrew Myers, campaign manager for Proposition 203. See you here in a minute. Stay tuned for more State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com when we return. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome back to the State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, here's Dave Inman. Welcome back to the State of Cannabis, folks. I'm your host, Dave Inman. With us tonight, we have Andrew Myers, campaign manager for Proposition 203, the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act. Fast forward to 2014, we're uh, flush with about 72, 73 open dispensaries now. Thank you again for that, Andrew. What is the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act, just so everybody knows? Oh, in 2010, as you said, Arizona voters approved Proposition 203, which legalized certain medical patients with certain chronic and debilitating conditions to have access to medical cannabis for treatment. And it created a system of state-licensed dispensaries to service that patient population. We have pretty substantial conditions list that was just added to by the addition of post-traumatic stress disorder by DHS. We currently have roughly 50,000 patients in the program. There actually have been more patients than that have cycled through the program. The, the cost of the program for patients we, we, we find to be overly prohibitive, or at least that's the feedback that we've gotten, because on the ground we're noticing a, a fairly high non-renewable, non-renewal rate, so it's really tough to tell exactly how many patients have cycled through the program. So we're working with, um, and I'm sure a lot of people are unaware of this, there's a revision to the rules that's being undertaken right now, and we're working very closely with DHS to rewrite the rules package. And one of the things we're pressing for very hard is to get substantial reductions in the cost of patient cards and the cost of patient renewals and and, and caregiver costs and things associated uh, to, to, to card fees um, because we see DHS running a very large surplus 
And these card fees are very difficult for some patients. And just so our listeners are aware, what are those current card fees? Patients, it is uh, $150 for your initial fee and then $150 every year. And then uh, caregivers, it's actually more expensive. It's $200 um, because you need to turn in the fingerprint cards. That's part of the statute uh, they're, they're required to comply with. Now, caregiver, what, what exactly does caregiver mean? Well, in, it, it can mean two separate things. So uh, the, when, we, when we drafted the law... Um, we wanted to allow patients, particularly patients that were very ill or even bedridden, to have somebody who could act um, in their interest uh, to be able to go and get cannabis for them, um, where could you know somebody else could you know like a caregiver, somebody who was like a, 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 a like somebody who was a, a medical caregiver for somebody that, that may not be actually utilizing cannabis. But actually, picks uh, purchases and, and brings back for that person that needs to utilize the cannabis. Exactly, okay. um, and so they can both possess it, like go to a dispensary and be able to uh, purchase it for them, or they could, in in the case the dispensary was not readily available to the patient, or before the dispensaries are open, for instance, um, they could cultivate up to twelve plants for that on behalf of on behalf of that patient. Yes. So now let me ask you this then: so you could be a patient and then also a caregiver at the same time. Yes, you um, can. But if you were simply a caregiver, you would not then be able to utilize cannabis, correct? No, not legally under the act. I mean, you would have to be patient in addition to being a caregiver. Okay. So the the overall intent of that idea to begin with was just simply for 80-year-old grandma with a 80-year-old grandfather, you know, has a broken hip, hurts, the spouse goes and retrieves, brings back, and uh, all is well. Or if you're uh, bedridden or, or in a wheelchair, to, to have a vehicle in which to get your cannabis. Yes, that Perfect. was the intent. So let me ask you, so the, the path to reform across every state in the U.S., it, it seems to be different. Mm-hmm. What were the challenges specifically for Arizona to get Prop 203 not only on the ballot but passed? Well, it, we're very lucky here in Arizona that we have ballot initiative process. You know that that's an incredibly useful tool uh, to causes such as ours, who would have a very difficult time being able to move legislation through the state legislature. It allows us a route to go directly to the ballot. That was what uh, what was called a progressive era reform, like the original progressive era, which was um, like the late nineteenth, early twentieth centuries. So states out west that were founded later tend to have this process. And no surprise, that's where you tend to see a lot of cannabis law reform, is out west, where people have access directly to the ballot. Back east, where these laws have to go through the state legislature, and most states east of the Mississippi are that way, that's the way their constitutions are written, reform is much more difficult. You see much more fractional reform. We're really lucky in Arizona that we're able to pass a full, robust program. I think that the program we have here in Arizona is really a model nationally. It's much more open than any of the programs that you see back east. It's much more open than all of the programs that were out west that preceded it, for the most part. I think that it's going to prove to be an incredibly patient-friendly model. Part of that patient-friendliness depends on the market being mature. And we faced all manner of challenges in the courts immediately after the initiative passing, if everybody will remember. Um, So it, it delayed dispensary 
kind of infrastructure from getting up and running. But as soon as that that is, I think you're going to see prices that are very, very low very soon. Just like what happened in Colorado prior to, obviously, uh, you know, recreational being utilized. So let let me ask you this. So, like, interesting that you you were just touching on that. So Nevada, they're about to open their first dispensaries. Now, for those of you that don't live in in Nevada, you probably have no idea about this, but Nevada's medical law was voted in in 2000. We are in 2014. So, you know, just because certain laws seem to to, to pass doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everything just kind of comes into play. And, and, and an interesting thing about this Nevada law, uh, it passed by 65% of the vote. Our law passed by 50.13, you know, 4,000 votes. You know, so we had we had three years, basically, that we were held off from actually having dispensaries. Right. And then in Nevada, that's that's 14. I mean, maybe even 15. I mean, nothing's been open. It's just simply the licenses that have been well, issued at this point. Well, th- there, was, there was two. The slight difference in Nevada is that it was actually two separate pieces of legislation. They had a, a grow-your-own-based model that was passed in 2000 that had been the model. And then they went back in and added dispensaries to the model. So they, like, that was, like, a, it was, like, a separate later edition. But you're right. I mean, like, the underlying point that you're making is absolutely correct, which is that these programs, when they're initially passed, some of them are very restrictive. Like, the one that was passed in Georgia is a great example of that. The one that or was passed Utah. in Utah, particularly. is in New York. Even Illinois. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, even, even states you would consider to be more progressive-minded states. Like, when you have to go through the state legislature, it ends up being a huge compromise. I mean, and it's not a program that you can really stand behind. I mean, I think we can really stand behind our program here in Arizona, and I'm, I'm proud of that. It's an excellent point because, you know, after talking to, to several different dispensary owners, you know, the interesting thing that seems to, to be the chorus of those conversations, that most of their clientele is is not just simply the, the you know, 19, 18-year-old young male wanting to get high. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I'm, I'm an advocate for legalization across the country, but at the same time, it's really not that kind of clientele. Most actually is in in fact uh, you know people with canes in wheelchairs with uh, various forms of uh, debilitating conditions we all need to understand that it's it's there for them you know that's really what it was entailed for and, and the fact is is that we now have this wedge in that door that opens it's a remarkable thing in my in my mind that we even have that just a, a short time ago in Arizona also in California and any other place that I'd visited, that it was, uh, you were demonized. You would go to jail, sometimes for, for, for dozens of years, for minimal, for a joint. That's not necessarily the, the land that we live in anymore. We got to take a quick break, folks. But when we get back, uh, Andrew Myers, uh, campaign manager for Prop 203, the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act. We'll talk to you here in a minute. Stay tuned for more State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com when we return. Growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Setting fire to the stoner stereotype. Sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. 
CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, a fitness writer, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Like many of the million people who are living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every single day. And sometimes my nerves are so raw that if you brushed up against me in an elevator, I'd scream. I can't sleep at night from the pain, and sometimes the spasms in my legs are so intense they will wake me up throughout the night. I've tried the strongest prescription medications available, and I'm going to tell you, they do not work. In fact, they leave me in a stupor, and most of the time, it's impossible to even live your life. Now, I've tried medical marijuana, and I'm going to tell you something, it works. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome back to the State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, here's Dave Inman. Welcome back to the State of Cannabis, folks. I'm your host, Dave Inman, on the Cannabis Radio Network. Tonight we have with us Andrew Myers, the campaign manager for Proposition 203, the, uh, the law that uh, helped everybody uh, get cannabis, should you need it. Um, so, Andrew, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think is the likelihood of us in Arizona actually passing legalization in 2016? I think the fate of any initiative in 2016 in Arizona is going to be tied to uh, kind of the national feeling on the issue. I mean, it's going to be a national campaign in 2016. Um, it's looking like there's going to be roughly 10 states. They're going to have these adult use initiatives on the ballot. Um, most of the Western, excuse me, most of the Western United States. Uh, and I think it'll end up being an issue in the presidential campaign. Like, I think there's going to be a national referendum on this issue. I think it's going to be informed by the national debate. Um, and so to a certain extent, I think we're going to be at the, at the whim of that. Um, and I mean, my belief is that that's going to go in a positive direction. And the thing is that I would like to caution people is that any poll that you see on the issue today, whether it's in this state or any other state that's talking about the 2016 election is that is eons politically. I mean, like, and the the attitudes are going to change so much on the issue, um, my instinct is that it's pretty much a dead heat issue in Arizona right now, but I really feel like we're moving in a positive direction on it. But the really what it comes down to, and I mean, this is a little bit crass, but it's just the truth, is that successful campaigns are well-funded campaigns. And so, I mean, it, it comes down to the ability of the effort that comes up in 2016 to raise the amount of money that's required to take their message directly to voters and to be able to really get to voters, you need to be able to pay for voter contact. And that's just the truth, 
when it comes to politics. And that's coming from somebody who did campaigns kind of as a science. Like, it's just the truth is that, you know, you have to spend money on voter contact to be able to win competitive elections. You know, that that makes perfect sense. You know, and, and as a gamer, one of those end game kind of guys, would you consider this the end game? You know, like, are we getting close to that point where we could see a national legalized cannabis in America? What can we do as as a society? What can we do to help push that that stone over the edge? Like I think the thing that has done the most for the you know moving the idea of relaxing the law surrounding cannabis forward has been the removal of shame around the discussion of the issue. And I think that the media actually like the entertainment media actually has a lot to play in that where you see cannabis being represented in normal life with people who are socially acceptable types of people being cannabis users and having it not be something that's a central part of the storyline, but just something that exists. You mean not like a pot zombie? R- r- yeah. I mean, like, and I, mean, I, I think kind of rolling back a lot of that hysteria has been what's critical. And the thing that you can do following up on that is that if you're somebody who you have a network of friends and you feel passionately about this issue, but you've never spoken about it before because of fear of being looked at negatively, is maybe now's the time to have that conversation with people that really respect your opinion. Um, like, now is the time to start moving that opinion because it's like there's a little bit of a bandwagon effect that needs to happen for these kind of things to move forward. And I think you saw with the gay rights movement where there's a tipping point where being anti-gay is now like not cool. You know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like that. I mean, it, it's, it's something that society's decided that that's not okay anymore. And the thing is like, I think cannabis is going through that same evolution where it was something that was demonized for a long time, maybe un- incorrectly. So, I mean, certainly incorrectly. So, I mean, but I mean, and now that people are just learning the truth more about it and being exposed to it and being exposed to cannabis users that their lives haven't been ruined by it, just having those honest conversations and equating it being like, there's nothing at all different between enjoying a little bit of cannabis versus drinking a glass of wine. It is by and large the same thing. And I think just getting that kind of idea out there in polite society is really important. Thank you so much for for saying that exactly. You know, it, it is important that we, we realize exactly and precisely what cannabis is. And that is going to make you turn into a wild beast. Of course not. No more so than, than, than anything else in, in this world. Um, honestly, but, I mean, let me jump in, though, really fast. Is that I think the other thing that we need to be careful about, though, is presenting marijuana like there is no drawbacks to it whatsoever and that it's a panacea that is going to solve all of the world's problems. And the thing is, like, neither of those statements are true. Absolutely. And the thing is, and I, and I think that the real strong argument that still exists against the legalization of cannabis is the normalizing of its use to young people, where right. it's been shown that can, you know, heavy amounts of cannabis use among young developing for young developing minds is it, it slows mind brain development. I mean, and if you're it's like te- it's a lot of marijuana use in the teenage years is not particularly good for kids. And the thing is, like, I think acknowledging that and making ourselves partners in educating young people on the dangers of this is this is an adult thing that it is relatively safe for adults, but it is not without risk well it's responsible use always right you know i mean when you think about it you know it's just like responsible use of salt you know now while it's not going to kill you uh you know a little bit of salt uh, nor is cannabis ever going to kill you 
on a developing brain, just like you're not supposed to lift heavy weights when your muscles are still developing, because then then it hinders further development of. And it makes perfect sense that, you know, a a developing brain shouldn't introduce uh, anything that, that isn't necessarily necessary. But I think a lot of us know that at least in our society now, and, and apparently for the last several thousand years, uh, the stresses of, of the day-to-day activities, whether it was sowing the fields, uh, you know, going and hunting and getting uh, your, your food for the night, or simply uh, what we do now, with our faces immersed in, in our uh, electronic devices, with uh, our bosses, our customers, our, our vendors uh, yelling at us uh, to, to get something done faster and faster and faster, and then the stresses of the day unfold. And we all of a sudden need to have a, a way of, of respite. We need to find that solace that, that only can occur from allowing our mind space to exist with nothing else. I personally have always found that to be cannabis for me. I got one more quick question before uh, we have to wrap it up, Andrew. Um, okay. In a perfect world, how do you feel about uh, personal cultivation? Do you think that's something that should wind up being included in any kind of uh, legislation? I think long-term, it's absolutely necessary. Personal cultivation is something that's very personally important to me. However, my idealist self bumps up against my pragmatist self on this issue. There's going to be an initiative in 2016, and there's a possibility that the inclusion of personal cultivation rights in that initiative for all people might kill the initiative. And there may be some sort of compromise that we can reach on that for certain patient classifications. Or, I mean, there's, there may be some other ways that we can atta- approach that question. I think it's something that needs to be polled. But to me, it's, it shouldn't be anybody's individual decision on that. It's something that we should really test the electorate and find out what Arizonans are willing to tolerate in an adult use cannabis piece of legislation and then win the election. Like my number one goal is that if there's going to be an adult use initiative on the ballot, I want the language to be good public policy and I want to win the election. And so then that's really where that's the perspective I'm coming from. Absolutely. I think every, every bit of land that we grab is, is important. Um, Sometimes it's hard for some to see, but, but every bit that, uh, that earns more and more freedoms um, is paramount. To all our listeners tonight, thank you guys for, for listening. We will see you again at the State of Cannabis. I am your host, Dave Inman. Andrew Myers, thank you again for uh, coming and talking with us tonight. We will talk to you soon. Bye. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.